Hello, and welcome to the unrestricted area from Basketball Intelligence. Don't forget to sign up at basketballintelligence.net to receive your daily newsletter with the day's best reporting and analysis. Today, Ray LeBove and Corbin Ford talk with Kristen Peak, the draft expert from Yahoo Sports. On the eve of the draft, she talks about Brandon Miller versus Scoot Henderson, some risers and fallers, how she navigates the flood of misinformation at this time of year, what it's like watching these young men grow up over the years, and much more. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I'm Ray Lebove, and welcoming you to the newest podcast uh, for the Unrestricted Area, sponsored by Basketball Intelligence. And um, we're honored and privileged today to be joined by the great Kristen Peake, who is one of the um, most wonderful draft experts there is. And again, it's an honor and a privilege to have her today. Joining me also today on behalf of Basketball Intelligence is Corbin Ford, not only our producer extraordinaire, but uh, also uh, a participant in in this discussion. So uh, Kristen, thank you and welcome. Glad to have you today. Um, Wanted to start off by um, asking you about the upcoming draft generally. We, as we've been following the, the upcoming draft for a year or so now, the general sense starting back then was, wow, this is going to be a very deep draft in addition to having Victor at the top. Um, has that changed? How do you, What's your sense now about how deep this draft is compared to previous ones and maybe what looks like the upcoming ones are? I mean, first of all, I have to start out by saying, you know, draft week is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I mean, casual NBA fans are usually doing, you know, what you do, what you used to do in school where you cram the night before and you're trying to absorb and get as much information as possible on these players in a short amount of time. Whereas people like me, other NBA draft analysts in this space have been not only covering these players under a microscope and spotlight this past year, But in some of these players' cases, I've known them or I've been scouting them or following them since the time that they were 15, 16 years old. So I always love draft week. I I love draft night. It's like graduation. I get to interview them afterwards. And this draft specifically, I mean, yeah, when we're looking at what's down the road and what's to come, there's a lot of depth to this draft and there's a lot of talent that I think that we're going to see, you know, in years past where not saying we're going to find another Nikola Jokic in the second round, but I do think that there are productive role players and productive players that can be impactful on championship caliber teams late in the first round, early in the second round that are those like missing pieces. There are those You know, uh, Kayla Martin from Miami, who was very impactful as an undrafted player. And I think there's a lot of teams that are looking at this draft class, particularly at the back half and early second round. And they want to find that player that they can plug and play into their franchise franchise right away and help them win some games. So not only is there you've got Victor Wimbenyama, generational type talent, there's probably multiple NBA All-Stars and All-NBA players and uh, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, possibly the Thompson Twins. I'm really high on Anthony Black, who is, you know, a projected top 10 pick. I think I'm higher on him than most people. But there's a there's something for everyone in this draft class. And that's why I love the draft so much. And I'm really excited for Thursday. 
Well, you mentioned Scoot. Um, and as you know, there's been uh, significant, what should we call it, discussion, debate among uh, draftniks over um, who's going number two. And, you know, I, I always take the position that the best thing that I can do uh, immediately prior to the draft is do a 100% ignoring of draft rumors because they're almost never useful in any kind of way that uh, actually proves out. So putting those aside for the moment, there's nonetheless um, a big debate going on over, gee, what's likely to happen at two? So maybe you could address or could you address what you think would well is likely to happen and also what would what would you do at number two this is something i go back literally every day on this like my latest mock i have scoot going number two but now after being here at the players hotel talking to different players that are projected in the lottery because i like to pick their brain too they're the ones that have played against these other players in this yeah. draft class they have a lot of insight as to who they think is the better prospect they know who LaMelo Ball is. They've seen him play. Who would you slot in, in beside him? And a lot of them said Brandon Miller. I think Brandon Miller is the obvious choice for draft night. Vegas really hasn't like decided one way or the other. Remember last year, Paolo Bencaro made a massive jump to the favor to be number one pick. I even ignored that. I'm not ignoring Vegas anymore. And <laughs> Vegas, Vegas is flip-flopping every day on the Brandon yeah. Scoot discussion. So I don't think even Charlotte has made up their mind. We know that because they brought both prospects back in Monday for meetings, not only with Michael Jordan, but with the rest of the staff. I'm not sure if they worked out again because, you know, these players are so tired leading up to the draft process. Some of them, you know, working out for as many as like 15 or 16 teams, right? Scoot and Brandon only worked out for the Trailblazers and the, and the Hornets, but I'm not sure they got in the gym or got any shots up on Monday, but all that to say, I think right now the safest pick in the minds of what will probably happen on Thursday is Brandon Miller. But I understand the pick of Scoot Henderson when you're looking at what he projects at the next level with, uh, you know, this combination of athleticism and facilitating and his comps are ridiculous. Like he's being compared to a healthy Derrick Rose when he entered the league, who, you know, was the MVP, however many seasons later, a young Russell Westbrook and, and he was a triple-double machine, you know, uh, playing at a very high level. So when you see those projections, it's almost like, how do we – like, we cannot skip out on this player. We draft him and we make it work. I mean, it's 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 a great problem to have when you have two talents and two ball makers or, or facilitators and ball handlers in the backcourt at a, playing at a high level like LaMelo and Scoot. I still think it could work, but what I think will – probably end up happening Thursday night is Brandon Miller will hear his name second to the Charlotte Hornets. Well, which raises number three. And we all uh, have been hearing uh, a lot of speculation about um, since uh, Dame wants to stay and they want him to stay, that the best thing, at least in theory, to happen is that it doesn't have to deal with um, however good they might be a really young player because you want some sort of synchronicity to uh, be ready at the time that he's still in his window. So do you, what are you, how are you feeling about the likelihood that they could trade 
at three in order to accomplish that in order to fit um, with the, 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 the Dame window. It's absolutely on the table. I know they're taking those phone calls. I know they're exploring every option with their multiple first round picks that they have, whether that's they package it and, you know, kind of dangle that little carrot. If you are a rebuilding franchise that has their eye on Scoot Henderson, really wants to kind of uh, develop a team and a culture around him, then that's absolutely on the table. You know, we've heard uh, teams like New Orleans is is uh, making those phone calls, you know, trying to offer up either Zion Williamson or um, oh my, or Brandon Ingram, right? So those are definitely the conversations that are being had. What they do, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's different whether or not it's Scoot on the table or Brandon on the table or if they have different trade possibilities for each player. Obviously, they're different positions, but it's the, the I mean, everyone like after after Victor Wimbenyama, people are like, oh, the next team that has the easiest pick in the draft is Portland. And now we are two days out and we're proving that that's not true. There is no easy pick in this draft. <laughs> Every single pick, if there is a trade, that trade could change the trajectory of this entire draft. And depending on what, you know, what different teams do, because even outside of Portland, after we get in the lottery, out of the lottery, and you're looking at, you know, 17 with the Lakers, or I think they have 17, 18, um, oh no, no, 18 with the Lakers, 19 with Golden State Warriors, 20 again with Houston. Okay, you've got two teams that are already, you know, uh, playoff caliber teams. Are they going to trade back? Are they going to take those phone calls? Are they even going to keep their trade? You know, because I don't know how much longer LeBron at 38 years old can sit and try to be patient and play with a young player that's, you know, a year or two older than his oldest son, Bronny. So there's, there's all sorts of different things happening. And that's why we love the draft. I feel like last year was pretty chalk uh, the year before as well. So this might be the year that we start to see things ramp up with a lot of trades. Well, I agree with you in terms of, uh, how difficult it is. Um, certainly there's so many variables at every pick uh, in terms of the decision maker. And you multiply that times how many people are in the draft room that are commenting on that to the person that ultimately is making the decision, plus how much is turning on it, right? You make the right choice versus the wrong choice. Um, all of those factors, and I'm just listing a few of them, that's to me what makes it so complicated and so stressful. Um, yeah. to, to try to get it at least close to right. Um, you mentioned Anthony Black, but let's sort of build on that. Um, we've seen um, consensus and aggregate mocks that uh, by virtue of uh, selecting from, the, you know, the better of the people that have done mocks and sort of come up with either that consensus or aggregate or what you want to call it. So we have a sense of, where at least that um, wisdom of the crowd, to, to, to use a phrase, is, are there players uh, that are slotted in at those positions by virtue of the consensus or aggregate that you think are either slotted too low or too high? You mentioned Anthony Black, but are there others? And can you tell us who they are and why you think they should, they're likely to go or should go higher or should go lower than where they are slotted in those aggregate monks. I mean, I saw Jeff Goodman, um, who uh, is a college basketball insider for Stadium. He made a great point on Twitter today where he pointed out the fact that 
there are very limited pure shooters in this draft class. And so, and a lot of the, the guards that are projected at the top, Asar Thompson, Scoot Henderson, Anthony Black even, aren't great perimeter shooters. So that adds more value to a player like Jordan Hawkins, who was very instrumental in UConn's run to uh, a national title. And from all accounts, from, from different players that were in workouts with him, from other insiders around the NBA, he is shooting the living you-know-what out of the ball in workouts. So he's a player I think could sneak into the lottery. And just finishing up on Jordan Hawkins, uh, you know, he is one of those pure shooters. So we are going to see him possibly at play at number nine to the Utah Jazz, possibly at number 11 uh, to the Orlando Magic if they keep that second pick. And it, it all depends on what they decide to do at six. Like if Jairus Walker is at play at six and they want to add some more size alongside Paolo Bancaro, Wendell Carter Jr. in the backcourt, they might make a play for a shooter at 11 like Jordan Hawkins. So I think he's someone that I could see sneaking into the lottery and it wouldn't surprise me, but he's a name that we're not hearing a lot in terms of like, you're right, the aggregated mock drafts. Um, any other players that, uh, regardless of whether you think they're slotted correctly or not, that you would like to um, focus people's attention on that maybe they haven't looked at as closely as they might have to watch what happens to them and what you think of them and why you think um, they're worth people's attention? I mean, another name has to be Bilal Koulibaly, who is Victor Wembanyama's teammate. And, you know, he is probably one of the most improved players throughout this entire draft cycle. When he was in Las Vegas in October playing alongside Victor Wembanyama, he was he was a non-factor. Nobody probably even paid attention to his name on the roster. And we slowly start to get, we slowly start him to get more minutes, more comfortable. And um, his coach, Vincent Collet, he said, he's like, we just, I kept preaching to him, patience. He needs to be patient. He needs to be patient. And then they hit the playoffs when everybody else, all the college players, everybody else is done playing. Him and Victor played all the way up until last week in the finals against Monaco. They lost three games to none. But Koulibaly was very instrumental in that playoff run. I mean, in, in the game to make the finals, he had 16 points, four assists, two steals. So when we're seeing that jump, and then you have Victor going on Twitter after that game, and he said, by now, if you're watching, you know that Koulibaly is a top 10 player. What most people don't know is he should be top five. And I'm going to wow. pop my brakes there at like top five. <laughs> but do I think he's do I think he's going to be at play in the lottery? Absolutely. And he is by far one of the buzziest names, you know, rising up draft boards. So have you been able to see um, every player that realistically has a chance of going uh, in the first round in person? Uh, every player, I think so. I'm trying to think wow. if uh, oh Ray Ray and, Ru, Ray and Rupert like uh, uh, the NZ the, the player from the NZ Breakers. I have not seen him. I've watched a lot of film on him, um, but he's. I mean, I think he's projected kind of in the 20s, maybe early second round. But every other player, you know, I try to stay in the gym as much as possible. And if not, you know, hopefully I saw them in high school at some point. I mean, Cam Whitmore, he he was getting on my back when I saw him. He's like, "How come I didn't see you come through?" Villanova at all this year and I said oh no no no! I was at your away game when you know what I mean so it's like it's like they they remember because I'm in the gym so much when they're at the high school level like it, I'm like a familiar face 
that they get to see, you know, as their career progresses. So it's always fun keeping tabs on them. And I love seeing the growth in their games as well. So uh, we talked about rumors a little bit earlier, and I always do the best that I can to try to ignore them because I know that they're either coming from um, agents or teams that have an agenda or even media people that have an agenda, and they don't really bear much relationship to reality typically. Um, do you find that any of those other media people or agents or teams try to influence you um, with by feeding you stuff that like, I'm glad this is going in one ear and out the other. Absolutely. I mean, when you're in this long enough, you kind of learn the different ways to read what's smoke. Why, why is their agent telling me that this player has a promise here? When in reality, maybe I just spoke to that team two days ago and they didn't bring up said players. So everybody is has a different agenda. After the pro days, it's always this player is playing himself into the lottery. This player is great. This player is improving his draft stock. Like I think after the, that week of pro days, I probably hear about 30 different players that are going to go in the lottery. And so <laughs> it's up to it's up to us as individuals and me, especially as a reporter. Like if I'm going to report on something, I want to make sure that it's actually true. And I try to get to the bottom of it. And I don't take rumor for rumor's sake and run with it as like Bible truth. You know, this is absolutely happening. Um, so yeah, that, that's always what's so fun leading up to the draft, right? Is trying to track down what's true, what's not, and decide for yourself if that's going to impact their draft stock, whether they're rising or falling and, you know, see how it plays out Thursday night. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons why I rely so heavily on what you write is because exactly what you've done in terms of how much stock to put in, you know, that type of nonsense is going on as opposed to relying on your own observations and the things that you know are reliable, et cetera. It's very much reflected in your work. I mean, it's very obvious to me that no, 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 this person is making solid judgments for the solid reasons, not for any of the nonsense that she's being fed. So I appreciate you doing that. I'm sure all your readers do as well. Um, so Corbin, did you have any uh, thing that you would like to ask uh, Kristen that we haven't covered yet? Oh, yes. Um, so I'm, I, I mean, we've all heard about these guards coming into the draft, but there was three that were projected to come like in early mock drafts to rate kind of highly in Nick Smith Jr., Derek Whitehead, and Keontae George. And all, unfortunately, sustained injuries either before or during the course of this season that caused their draft stock to kind of fall a little bit. Um, of those three, I was just curious on your personal take of who do you think has the best chance of maybe still getting into the lottery? I know they're mostly all projected like either just around between 14 and 19 or like the back half, um, but I was definitely curious on your take there. Uh, those three names, Dariq Whitehead, uh, Nick Smith Jr. and Keontae George are players that I don't, I don't like to say that they're falling but it's just that other players are rising. And so it's pushing them down a little bit. I don't think it's anything that they, they've done specifically, either workouts or team meetings. All three of them are great kids. I know them all very, very well. If there's one of those three players that is going to sneak into the lottery, back in the lottery, it's got to be Keontae George. I mean, he is a walking bucket. He There's no moment that's too big for Keontae. He has good size at six foot five. And is just a, a, a great shooter. He needs to work on his shot selection. He needs to, you know, keep his body consistent and not 
uh, and and for and to stay NBA ready, I should say. And with Derek, I mean, any team that takes them, whether that's at the back half of the first or you know into the second round, is just going to have to be patient because he he's undergoing or he underwent the second foot surgery, and you know it just needs to heal correctly before we can and see if he's going to get back to the type of caliber player he was as that big guard facilitator in high school at Mount Verde for Team Durant on the AAU circuit, you know, playing for the Nike EYBL. And for Nick Smith, I mean, here's the thing with Nick. It's, yes, the injury hurt him. He can get back into rhythm. Um, it was a minor knee injury. But the fact that he chose to come back and not duck the competition, I think, speaks volume for who he has, who he is as a player and who he is as a competitor. And I told a team this uh, last week when they were asking about him. Uh, I just said, you know, if he hits, he could be a cross between Emmanuel Quickly with how his floater is in the lane and Tyrese Maxey with how impactful he is at the rim with his body control. So do you want to be that team that if Nick Smith hits, that's who you're passing on? And that's exactly what his ceiling is, I think, at the next level. So we've heard for forever about the um, war between um, uh, best player available and best fit. And, you know, it, teams are going to do what they do for whatever reasons they want to do them. And sometimes that might even shift, but I, I'm, my bias typically is towards best available rather than best fit, but I understand why that can be a factor, et cetera. Is there a player that you've uh, been watching that you think, Oh man, where that person goes is going to really be extraordinarily impactful on how well they do and how their career arc goes. And there's a team that is such a perfect fit for that player that, um, God, wouldn't it be great if he went there? Is there such a thing like that for you? I mean, it has to be Trace Jackson Davis to the Indiana Pacers. That's like, that's, I mean, I see their two picks there, late first, early second round. And, you know, being an Indiana star for three years, improving his draft stock all three years as an impactful forward. I mean, I think if Indiana loses out on size with pick seven and they take, you know, uh, either a men or a Sar Thompson or maybe even, uh, Anthony Black, if he's there and they want some more star power in the in, in backcourt, if Trace Jackson Davis is sitting there at 32, I think they take a swing on him. Like that to me is like a match made in heaven, especially for what he did for the University of Indiana and how the city is already, you know, really happy with him and and what he brought to to uh, you know that organization. So that would to me is like the most the easiest one. I think at this point, if you're the Denver Nuggets and there's any player from Serbia sitting there, you pick them up. <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> Especially if they're available at 41, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you for taking the time. I'm going to ask you now if there's anything that you would like to share with us that we neglected in raising through our uh questions of you anything anywhere you want to go anything you want to talk about we're happy to extend as long as you want I mean I think it's interesting you know uh it's always what's coming up next what's coming up next and we we look at Victor Wembanyama and what he'll be in the NBA you know we saw all those reports oh the Spurs are shutting him down for summer league they're shutting him down and then well somebody asked him in the handshake line are you playing at summer league and he said a little bit <laughs> so I think what we've heard is like 
the smokescreen around Victor is real. Uh, if if it's up to him in any sort of situation or scenario, he's always going to play. He's always sure. going to compete. And if you saw the video of his arrival to America, to the United States, to the NBA, when he was bombarded with uh, autographs and pictures at the airport, and he turned to a camera, he said, I don't even know how they knew what time I was landing. <laughs> and as he's Get walking through the it, airport, right? <laughs> but he's so calm and yes, he was so calm and collective. And it just looked like, oh my gosh, he was born for this. Like he was born to be the superstar. Get ready in terms of what we're about to see in the NBA. I think we're going to see something new from him on a nightly basis in terms of what he can do. And uh, how about that budding rivalry we're getting now? It's it's brewing between the San Antonio Spurs and the Oklahoma City Thunder with Chet Holgram coming in. He's going to be up for all the same rookie awards as Victor Wembanyama, And the two of them already put on a show at the FIBA U19 World Cups in the championship game. Chet got the W. He got the MVP honors there. But two years younger than everybody on the court, Victor was by far the better prospect. So there's so many storylines that I love about this draft class. I'm just so excited to see what comes to fruition with this group specifically. And then, you know, next year we got to get ready for uh, Bronny James. So will you take a day off after the, after whatever, how many number of days you need to focus on what happened in the draft? Can you take one day off before you start next year's draft? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you call it a day off. I'll sleep in. I'll have a mock going live first thing Friday morning, my very first (laughs) mock 1.0 for the 2024 class. And then, I'll, I'll chill on Friday and then Saturday it's off to the MVPA top 100 camp to, you know, keep tabs on the next group coming up. You know me, Ray, I stay in the gym. I do. I do. It's like, I I'm never stop. Like at some point you and Adam, Svanella need to clone yourselves, right? <laughs> How do you do it? But more power to you and better for us that you do it. Right. Um, yes. but yeah. Um, Okay, well, thank you so much. Much appreciated uh, you're taking the time to do this. I know that you, as crazy as your schedule is always, it's probably even crazier now in the dwindling hours to um, draft day. So much, much appreciated. Um, glad to have you. And again, it was an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Anytime.